The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and the final book of the Torah. After the exodus from Egypt, Israel was at Mount Sinai for one year, entering into a covenant with their God. And then they had the disastrous road trip through the wilderness, and the exodus generation disqualified themselves from entering into the land promised to Abraham. And so Deuteronomy begins with Moses standing in front of this new generation, explaining the Torah. And it's from here that the design and purpose of the book unfolds. Deuteronomy is a series of speeches from Moses where he's calling the next generation of Israel to be faithful to the covenant with their God. At the center of the book is a collection of laws, which are the terms of the covenant between God and Israel. Some of the laws are new, but many are repeated from the laws given earlier at Mount Sinai. And that's actually where this book gets its name, from a Greek word, deuteronomion, which means a second law. Now, surrounding these laws are two outer sections of Moses' speech. Each of these are broken up into two parts themselves. Let's just dive in and we'll see how this whole thing works. So Moses, first of all, summarizes the story so far, and he highlights how rebellious the previous generation was, in contrast with God's constant grace and provision in the wilderness. And God did bring his justice on them, yes, but he did not abandon his covenant promises. After this comes a series of very passionate sermons where Moses calls on this new generation to be more faithful than their parents were to the covenant. He reminds them of the Ten Commandments, and then the centerpiece of the section is a famous line called the Shema. Moses says, Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. This became a very important daily prayer in Judaism, and it brings all of the themes of the book together. So the word listen, or shema in Hebrew, it means much more than just to hear. Its meaning includes responding to what you hear, or in English we would say obey. And the word love in Hebrew also means much more than just an emotion or feeling. It's about a decision of wholehearted devotion to God that involves your will and your emotions, your mind and your heart. Now, for Israel, their obedience and devotion to God served a much larger purpose. Obedience to the laws is going to make Israel a unique people among the nations. Just like God said at Mount Sinai, they will become a kingdom of priests. And Moses now says, how? Israel has the chance, by following the laws, to show the whole world the wisdom and the justice of God. The other key idea in the Shema is that Israel was called to obey and be devoted to the Lord alone. Or literally, in Hebrew, it says, the Lord is one. Now, in context, the point is that the Lord is the one God Israel is to worship and obey. Israel is about to go into the land of Canaan, where people worship idol gods that represent all different aspects of creation. The sun, the weather, sex, and war. And in Moses' view, worshiping these gods degrades humans and destroys communities. But worshiping the God of Israel, who's the creator and the redeemer, that will lead to life and blessing. And so we come to the large collection of laws at the center of the book. And they're roughly arranged by topic. So the opening section is about Israel's worship of their God. They were to have one central temple where one God would be worshipped. And also, God was to be worshipped in Israel's care for its poor. So, for example, all Israelites were to set aside one-tenth of their annual income to be given to the temple. But another tenth 
was to be set aside every three years and given to the poor. And these are the kinds of laws that put Israel on the cutting edge of justice in comparison to their ancient neighbors. And it was all bound up with their worship of God. The next section outlines the character qualities of Israel's leaders. So the elders, the priests, the kings, these were all placed under the authority of the covenant laws, which God said that he would enforce by sending prophets to keep the leaders accountable. So in contrast to Israel's neighbors, where kings were thought of as divine and a law unto themselves, Israel's leaders were subordinate to the law and the prophets. Following this is a large section of laws about Israel's civil life, so rules about marriage and family and business, and also about social justice, about their legal system and how it was to protect widows and orphans and immigrants. And then these are concluded by more laws about worship. Now, here's some tips for reading all of these laws. Remember, first of all, these are the terms of the Sinai Covenant given specifically to ancient Israel, living in a culture that's very different from yours. And so, too, it's not going to be helpful to compare these laws with modern laws from a very different culture. Rather, these were given to set Israel apart, and so we need to compare these laws with those of Israel's neighbors, like in Assyria or Babylon. And when you do that, all of a sudden laws that seemed harsh or bizarre become much more clear. You see that God is pushing Israel to a higher level of justice than was ever known before. And so finally, try to discern what core principles of wisdom or justice underlie any particular law, and you'll discover some really profound things. So here's an extra credit assignment. Go see how Paul the Apostle does this very thing in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 9, and he quotes a law from Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 4. It's really interesting. So back to Moses. After he goes through all of the laws, he issues a final challenge that Israel should listen to and love their God. He first issues a warning and the ultimatum. If Israel listens to and obeys their God, everything's going to go great. Lots of divine blessing. But if they don't listen and rebel, famine, plague, devastation, and ultimately exile from the land. And then Moses forces a decision. He says, Today I set before you all life or death, blessing or curse, goodness or evil. So choose life by loving the Lord your God and listening to him. But then Moses says this. He says, I know that after I die, you're going to rebel and turn away from God and end up in exile. Which is kind of a downer, but then again, he's been with these people for decades and it becomes clear that his hopes are not very high. But all is not lost, Moses says. One day, when Israel is sitting in exile, at any point, Moses says, they can turn back to their God, who will, in his words, circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and soul and live. Now, this is a vivid metaphor that's saying something is fundamentally wrong with Israel's heart. It's stubborn and hard. And it's the same thing wrong with the heart of all of humanity. This is going all the way back to the rebellion in the garden. Humans seized autonomy from God. They wanted to define good and evil for themselves, and they ruined God's good world as a result. But one day, Moses says, God is going to do something to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly listen to and love God from the heart and be led back to true life. And this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the hope for a new heart. So Moses ends his speech with a poem of warning and then of blessing, and then he walks up onto a mountain and he dies.
And so the Torah draws to a close. All of the major plot tensions of the biblical story are in place, but left totally unresolved. So when is the descendant of the woman going to come and defeat evil? Or how is God going to rescue the whole world and bless all nations through this family? And how can God's holiness be reconciled with people who are continually rebellious? And how is God going to transform the hearts of his people? You just have to keep reading to find out. But for now, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. How's that? Uh, let's just start over for everybody, including the recording, right? Route 66. Today we continue our journey through the Bible, from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. We're cruising through 66 books, one book each Sunday, and this morning we are ready to study the fifth book. Deuteronomy. So let's just dive right on in, beginning with the structure. How does Deuteronomy fit into the overall structure of the Old Testament? Well, as we've been learning, the Old Testament consists of three major types of books, 17 historical books, five poetical books, and 17 prophetical books. Deuteronomy, then, is the fifth historical book, and the fifth and final book of the Pentateuch, or Torah, or the law of Moses. Now looking at the Old Testament from a chronological viewpoint, we still have the three major types of books, historical, poetical, and prophetical. And as you can see on this chart, Deuteronomy runs concurrently with the end of the book of Numbers. It's not one of the 11 books that form the actual Old Testament storyline, but it's from this chronological framework that all of the poetical and prophetical books hang. So what's the structure of the book of Deuteronomy itself? Well, the Hebrew title for the book was Hadabarim, which is translated the words taken from the opening phrase in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 1. The Jewish people also called it Mishnah HaTorah, repetition of the law, which is translated in the Septuagint as Ta Deuteronomium Tauto, the second law. The English title then, Deuteronomy, obviously comes from this Greek title. But to be clear, 
We need to understand that this book is not really a second law. Rather, it is a repetition and expansion of much of the original law given on Mount Sinai. Remember, this is now a new generation of Israelites. All of the old generation, 20 years of age and older, has now died during the 40 years since the exodus from Egypt. And so Moses is repeating and expanding on the law for the benefit of this new generation to prepare them for entering into the promised land. Now, as with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. The book itself includes some 40 claims that Moses wrote it. Many other Old Testament authors attribute the Pentateuch, the Torah, including Deuteronomy, to Moses' authorship. I gave you a bunch of scriptures there you can look up on your own later. Over 80 times, New Testament writers cited Deuteronomy, affirming Moses' authorship. Even Jesus himself quotes Deuteronomy. In fact, more than any other Old Testament book, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, and often using terminology like the law of Moses. Now, there's no geographical movement in Deuteronomy. The entire book takes place on the plains of Moab across the Jordan River from Jericho. And in the space of about one month, Moses delivers three sermons that move from being retrospective, Deuteronomy 1 through 11, to introspective, Deuteronomy 12 through 26, to prospective, Deuteronomy 27 through 34. I like to uh, look at it as being the first 11 chapters are historical, a review of what Israel has done and how God responded. The next 15 chapters are moral and legal, what God expects Israel to be and do. And the last eight chapters are prophetical, a preview of what Israel will do and, in fact, how God will respond to their obedience or disobedience. Now, with that overall structure in mind, then, let's move on to the story. In a nutshell, Deuteronomy is a call to covenant faithfulness. A call to covenant faithfulness. God, through Moses, urges his chosen people to choose obedience rather than disobedience. To choose to be blessed rather than to be cursed. To choose life rather than death. Now earlier, I had you turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So follow along now as I read verses 15 through 20. Moses says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life, and He will give you many years in the land He swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Thank you once again to the Bible Project for that great video overview of the book of Deuteronomy that we watched to open today's lesson. I've reproduced this chart across the inside pages of your lesson notes so that you can have this storyline of Deuteronomy to take with you for further review and study on your own. If I were to summarize the book of Deuteronomy, I would boil it down to these three key words corresponding to the three sections in the book. The first word I would choose would be the word beware. Beware. The first of Moses' sermons in chapters 1 through 11 is a call to the Israelites to beware the rebellious disobedience of the former generation, their fathers and mothers who died in the wilderness because of their sin. In Deuteronomy 8 and verse 11, Moses warns the people, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Beware. Watch out. Learn from their mistakes. Don't let history repeat itself. Perhaps Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 through 13 sums it up best. In fact, let's read these two verses out loud together. Would you read them with me? And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? Beware. The second word that I would choose is behave. (laughs) Behave. The second of Moses' sermons in chapters 12 through 26 is a call to Israel to behave like the righteous, set apart, and holy people that God has called them to be. In fact, Moses told them in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 6 all who behave unrighteously are an abomination to the Lord. Your God. And so, this collection in the middle of the book of moral, ceremonial, civil, and social laws in these 15 chapters at the heart of Deuteronomy are a reminder of the behavior that God expects from his people. Behave. The third word is the word become. The third of Moses' sermons in chapters 27 through 34 is a call to Israel to become fully and completely all that God has called them to be as his covenant people. The formal ratification of the covenant occurs in chapter 27 and Moses challenges the priests and Levites and all of this new generation of Israel, take heed and listen, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Moses' final words before he climbed Mount Nebo to be shown the promised land were words of blessing and hope as he urged the people to become all that God had called them out to be. So three words, beware, behave, become. That's the story of Deuteronomy. And the book ends with Joshua's recording Moses' death as he assumes leadership of the nation of Israel to finally lead them into the promised land. We'll pick the story up there next Sunday in our study of the book of Joshua. But I think right now it's fitting for us to read Joshua's words of tribute to Moses in the last three verses of Deuteronomy. It says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. 
to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That's the story. Which brings us then to the Savior. Each Sunday as we focus on each one of these 66 books of the Bible, one of our priorities is to point out where and how Jesus appears and is found in the narrative of that book. So please remember, there's one grand central theme, a single scarlet thread, if you will, that winds its way all through Scripture from Genesis through Revelation, and that is salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so here in Deuteronomy, we want to stop, look, and listen for the Savior. Where and how does Jesus Christ appear in the narrative of Deuteronomy? Well, I think the most obvious portrait of the Messiah is found in Moses' own prophecy in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. Let's read this out loud together. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Hmm. God himself reaffirms this same prophecy just a few verses later when he says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. An obvious reference, isn't it, to the prophet Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter confirms that when he quotes these verses in Acts 3 and verse 22. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Don't miss those, those words where Moses says, A prophet like me. God says to Moses, A prophet, Moses, like you. Because you see, Moses is a type or a foreshadow, if you will, of Christ. In many ways, we don't have time to go into all the details today, but for one thing, he is the only biblical character other than Jesus to fill all three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And of course, think about it for a moment, just a couple of things I'll point out. Both Moses and Jesus were in danger during their early childhood. Both Moses and Jesus are saviors or deliverers of God's people. Both of them are intercessors mediating for God's people. Both of them were rejected by God's people. And on and on we could go. Moses is a foreshadow of the Savior. That brings us to our final point, and that's the sense. As we wrap up every lesson, I want to offer the sense of each of these books of the Bible. In other words, what practical take-home lessons can we apply to our daily lives from the book? In today's case, what, what uh, instructions, what applications can we glean from the book of Deuteronomy? Well, as we've discovered in each of these five books of law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, there are always many lessons to be learned from the book, and such is the case with Deuteronomy. But I just want to keep it simple, because today we're just going to focus on the Shema. Again, it's found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Let's read it out loud together. 
Would you read it with me? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now before we dig into some practical lessons from this, let's watch this little video clip from the Bible Project together. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word, Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening, or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. So with that word study in mind then, I want to pull three lessons from the Shema. Three L words noted at the bottom left of the Deuteronomy chart in your notes. Listen, Lord, and love. Let's talk about those three. First, I see here a lesson from the word listen. Verse 4 begins, Hear, O Israel. And this word here 
Shema appears 50 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And as we just learned from that word study video, the word is much more than just hearing or listening. It carries with it an expected response, obedience. And so we shouldn't be surprised that words like do, keep, observe, practice are used 177 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Whatever else we may learn from the Shema, certainly we can learn here a lesson about hearing and doing, listening and obeying, reading and heeding. Deuteronomy 4 verse 1, Now Israel, hear Shema, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you, follow them so that you may live. Deuteronomy 5 verse 1. Hear, Shema, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe. Hear, Shema, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And on and on it goes in chapter after chapter throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, Shema, O Israel. It's a call to hear and do, to listen and obey, to read and to heed. It's a call to obedience. A call to obedience. James 1 verses 22 through 25 puts it this way. And remember, it's a message to obey, not just to listen to. So don't fool yourselves, for if a person just listens and doesn't obey, he's like a man looking at his face in a mirror. As soon as he walks away, he can't see himself anymore or remember what he looks like. But if anyone keeps looking steadily into God's law, he will not only remember it, but he will do what it says, and God will greatly bless him. Again, to listen is to do, to keep, to observe. Obedience. You've heard me say it before and now I say it again. We don't need more information. We need more transformation. We don't need more information. We need more transformation. It is to be life-changing, the Word of God in our hearts and lives. So first, the sense of Deuteronomy, the first L word in the Shema is listen. The second L word in the Shema is Lord. Lord. Because verse 4 continues, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a somewhat difficult phrase actually to translate from Hebrew to English, which is why my Bible has a footnote at the bottom of the page noting that it could also be translated, The Lord our God is one Lord, or the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And whichever translation you may prefer, the point is the same. <laughs> There's only one God, and He alone is Lord of all. So it's a call to allegiance. A call to allegiance. One Jewish commentator that I read this past week explained, The Shema is the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayer services and is considered by some the most essential prayer in all Judaism. As an affirmation of God's singularity and kingship, its daily recitation is regarded by traditionally observant Jews as a biblical commandment. Don't miss those words. An affirmation of God's singularity. There is no other God. And his kingship. There's only one king on the throne. Again, 
The point is, there's only one God, and He alone is the Lord of all allegiance. Now, the Hebrew word for Lord here is Adonai, meaning master or owner. Adon, in the singular form, could refer to any person who is superior or who is in charge, who is in authority. But Adonai, in the plural form, is reserved only for God in the Hebrew Old Testament text. Again, there's only one God, and He alone is Lord of all. It is all about allegiance. That's why just a few verses after the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 through 16, Moses warned, Deeply respect God your God. Serve and worship Him exclusively. Don't fool around with other gods, the gods of your neighbors, because God your God who is alive among you is a jealous God. Don't provoke Him. Don't push God your God to the wall. It reminds me of the first two. Of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. It's all about allegiance to Him and Him alone. And so, second, the sense of Deuteronomy, the second L word in the Shema is Lord. The third L word in the Shema is love. (laughs) Love. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 continues, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength or might. This word love appears 21 times in the book of Deuteronomy. As noted in the bottom left corner of the chart in your lesson notes, it's much more than just an emotion or a feeling. It is a decision. It is a commitment. It is a pledge of one's heart to be wholly devoted to worship God and God alone. Now, of course, Jesus identified this part of the Shema as the greatest or the most important commandment of all of the commandments. When he was asked in Mark 12 and verse 28, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus answered, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. That's a direct quote. Right here from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. I think it's a call to romance. Romance? Yes. In the most pure and delightful sense of the word, romance. I bet most of us have never ever considered our relationship with God in terms of romance. And we've missed out on the wonder and the passion of what it means to truly be in love with God. To love Him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be consumed by Him and with Him. To delight in His presence. To pursue Him even as He is pursuing us. And to give and receive mutual affection. It's romance. I know that this Thursday is Valentine's Day. (laughs) And that's all about love and romance. May I suggest that we include God in our Valentine's plans. Because God is saying to you, be mine. Be mine. More than anything else, He desires a a hearty, thriving, exciting relationship of love with you. Romance. Remember, as we saw in the video clip, and it was shown on the chart there, much of Moses' instruction in Deuteronomy deals with the heart of the people. 
In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, Moses tells the Israelites, the Lord God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and soul and live. Later, the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel will refer back to that promise. I love the way, actually, that God himself put it in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Let's read these out loud together. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. Just as we sang earlier this morning, God wants our hearts. More than anything else, he desires to be in a hearty, thriving, exciting love relationship with us. A love that comes from the heart. And yes, I call it romance. So let me ask you, how's your love life with God today? Is it full of spark? Is it thriving? Is it romantic? Remember, Jesus himself confronted the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 and verse 4. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me as you did at first. So how about you? Have you lost the wonder and the passion of that first love that you had for Jesus? Deuteronomy is a call back to that love. Third, the sense of Deuteronomy, the third L word in the Shema is love, a call to romance. So, three L words. Listen, obedience, Lord, allegiance, and love, romance. And that's the sense of what Deuteronomy is all about. Route 66, as we're cruising through the 66 books of the Bible, today we focused on this book of Deuteronomy, the structure, the story, the Savior, and the sense. We'll continue our journey next Sunday with the book of Joshua. There are 24 chapters in the book of Joshua, so if you read three or four chapters a day, basically you're going to read through the entire book in this coming week. I encourage you to do that before we get together next Sunday and study the book of Joshua together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is alive and um, just uh, always has something very practical to say to us. And today, from the book of Deuteronomy, we, we focus on the Shema. We want to learn how to listen to you with hearts of obedience today. Not just to let the words go in one ear and out the other. Not just to to forget them and let them lie dormant. But God, to respond to what your word has to say by by putting it into practice. By doing it. by, By living it out. And God, we want to respond to you as our Lord. And there is only one God. Only one Lord, only one to whom our allegiance is given. We are loyal to you and to you alone. So God, help us to fall in love with you all over again. I pray that we would 
think today in terms of romance, that, that you want to have this exciting, passionate love relationship with us as your children. Help us to renew that love, to find that first love for you all over again. What an amazing book Deuteronomy is. Thank you for teaching us from it today. Help us now to put these things into practice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.